What's up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another pay-per-view point edition of the Smartout Moment Smack Talk Podcast. It's time for us to talk about our post-show review thoughts and the results breakdown of NXT TakeOver War Games. Just took place about uh, half an hour ago when we were talking about this. And who is we? Well, I'm your host as always, Tony Mango, and joining me on the panel is Callum Wiggins. What's up, Callum? Say my name, Tony. He did, but, you know. <laughs> we have, we have <laughs> to fight first. You- Oh yeah. <laughs> then you expect me enough to. Then maybe I I don't have any microphones uh that are like that style, so if I can just like hold my blue yeti and do it like that, and hopefully have good audio. Because by the way, everybody, I uh tweak the audio settings again. Let me know what you think, and I'll try to check it out in Audacity beforehand and fix anything if I notice a problem. But drop a comment below. Tell me what you think about that. And while we're going through this as well, tell us what you thought of the different matches that we are going to be breaking down. Just timestamp things if we're not sure exactly what you're talking about and uh, kind of chime in uh, along with the podcast. But let's start things off with the pre-show. Did you watch the pre-show? Did you waste your time like I did? Uh, No, I decided to. um, I was playing uh, L.A. Noir it's just come out on ps4 never played so, it never even seen anything of it guaranteed better choice of time <laughs> it was until like my save file corrupted so i lost all the stuff that i was doing so that was great that's still not a waste of time compared to that i mean the pre-show on nxt is just booker t sam roberts and charlie caruso going this match is happening this match is yeah. happening let's go to I kayla mean, braxton where she'll stand in front of that little girl izzy and everybody will just say nxt for about a minute yeah, I saw a gif of that. Just like there was some uh, other little kid that was put in front of Izzy, and just Izzy was giving them the biggest death stare imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> just get out of my limelight. I'm I'm the star of NXT. <laughs> well, she's been on more shows than shit. You know what? She's been on more shows this year than like Buddy Murphy. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's not a good. It's not a good part of your career if you can say that. Be like that that crowd. Uh, fan that people know more than me <laughs> to be fair he gets to go home to alexa bliss though so. yeah really at that point it's like you're gonna complain <laughs> mm. but uh yeah i don't uh i didn't really see much reason of going for these nxt shows the nxt ones they're not like offensive in any way because they're only half an hour long so other than the Survivor Series one, which is going to be two hours of pretty much the same thing. So at least they get it over and done with in the core of the time. They need to add another one to that. I really hope that by tomorrow they announce something else. Which, by the way, for the people that are following the whole idea that they keep changing everything on this card, they mentioned ahead of time that you weren't going to figure out who that last person on uh, Team SmackDown's women was until Survivor Series. Lo and behold, earlier today, they're like, ah, it's just Natty. It's like, oh my god, why couldn't you have just fucking said that on Tuesday? You've had me replace a whole bunch of things again for no reason, like... It seems like uh, they're clear that maybe they thought, okay, we'll put Paige on Team SmackDown, and then she did something else stupid and decided, nope, she's not going on any show, now she's going back down to NXT. You know, maybe. <laughs> just do it if that's the case, just fire but... Oh, man. Uh, that we'll be talking about that tomorrow night. The post-show, uh, of course, will be following Survivor Series, but we're going to talk about NXT now because that's kind of the point. So yeah. we started off with... I don't even think it's arguably the worst match of the night. The worst match of the night, because this was the only one that was, like, bad in my mind, was Lars Sullivan versus Cassius Ono. Total squash. Did nothing for me. 
love it. I didn't mind it as much as a lot of people. I will agree that it was the worst match of the night, but that's only because it went for about five minutes compared to all the other matches. But I, it was about what I expected it to be, just two big guys kicking and hitting each other really hard. I thought Lars Sullivan looked pretty good. It was designed to be a squash match. It's clear that they've got designs on pushing Lars Sullivan quite high up the card. And uh, Cassie Sono was just some a full guy for it. That's what's disappointing I, I, about it, though, is because it was like, it was clear that Sullivan would win. And I don't mind that he won. I don't think that Ono should have beaten him. But I wanted him to at least put up a little bit more of a fight because this sort of starting off, I, I think I may, might have been actually better about it if it wouldn't have been the first match of the night. By the time the end of it happened, it was like, I don't know, 20 after or something. And I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, oh, that's right. Yeah, this isn't like a pre-show match. It felt like it was still a continuation of the pre-show to me. I, yeah, I do agree with it. The idea that maybe this wasn't designed too much for like a big pay-per-view, especially with the standard that NXT TakeOver is usually set for matches. It definitely didn't live up to that level. But I think you want to... You say, like, you want to make Cassie Sono more competitive in these sort of matches, but surely the point is making Lars Sullivan, like, as dominant as possible. Like, it's quite clear they're trying to make Lars Sullivan a new Goldberg-type character in NXT. So he should be winning matches comprehensively against any opposition in about three to five minutes. It's not like um, he was just uh, ran over and hit his finisher in a couple of seconds. I think... There was enough that Ono did with his just high kicks and rolling elbows to make it look like he had the slightest chance against uh, Sullivan. It, yeah, it's, uh, fair enough. It, I, I mean, mean, he put up a fight. If your goal is just Sullivan beats down everybody and it's going to be a while before he loses, then, yeah, they accomplished it. Like, can't really I complain about that. I think it was, yeah, I think it was more of a match that served a purpose as opposed to was designed to be like a show stealer or an, an, like a really entertaining spectacle. It was just something to help uh, Sullivan along his way. Yeah, I kind of look at it as like, I, I know that Sullivan is the priority, but I still don't care. And this didn't do anything <laughs> to make me care more. I don't dislike Sullivan, so that's the thing. It's like, it's not like he's like somebody who I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this guy win because he blows... Like, he's fine. Like, I just, I kind of, like, he's not catching on with me the same as they want him to. No, well, I mean, I, I'm connected a little bit more than you are, but I can understand why. It's just, he hasn't had enough of a build just yet, but I think you need to have him on these short sorts of shows having these matches because, as many people would attest to, a lot of people just watch TakeOver to TakeOver and don't really watch the individual shows so if you want to get somebody over and eventually get them onto the main roster you have to feature them on these shows so people actually see them otherwise they just won't know who they are when they come up on the main roster at all uh bugs the hell out of me when people are like who's this guy when like a, a cruiserweight match happens on a pay-per-view and it's like well if you'd watch 205 live you'd fucking know <laughs> exactly like i'm i appreciate that some people like already watched so much wrestling with SmackDown being two hours, Raw being three hours. You sometimes can't slot in an hour of NXT, but I would like heavily recommend to people that aren't watching NXT that you do check it out because you get basically a lot better version of what you get on Raw and SmackDown a lot of the time, and it's only an hour, so... Yeah, just... it's a lot tighter. Yeah, 
So, and it obviously it leads to these shows, which are comprehensively like excellent nine times out of ten. And this match definitely won't go down in history as one of the better NXT matches, but like I say, served a purpose, got Laws another dominant victory. It'd be interesting to see what happens to Cassius Ono going forward because he seems a little bit lost in shuffle right now. Yeah, he has not been having a good run since his return. No, he hasn't really done anything. He's had one NXT Championship match when Bobby Roode was champion, and then it's just been like just staying right in the middle, just having going from one, I don't want to say meaningless feud, but one forgettable feud to another. It'd be interesting to see if he's staying in NXT for the long haul and what his next option would be. I mean, he might be a next challenger for the title, considering who the the uh, champion is now. I don't know what re- really they could do with him, because outside of putting him in another tag team on the main roster, like he's not going to be a main event guy. That's for sure. And I can't well, even gonna... really see him being like a mid-card person that would be a priority. Like, can you picture like, Ono against The Miz? Miz seems so much bigger. Not physically, but like just priority wise you know yeah i i don't see a place for him at the moment i mean i think some people are in nxt just to be in nxt and they don't have an intention of moving them to the main roster at least not for a long time anyway at least unless they prove themselves to be somebody that could be a high priority on the main roster i think there's a lot of people ahead of the queue of oh no not in terms of like in-ring ability or even storytelling or promos no definitely has all those skills just in terms of where they can slot in to the main roster. I don't want Ono to go up and then just be another guy because they have absolutely nothing for him. Yeah, at that point, keep him on NXT, have him be a slightly big fish in a small pond, kind of, because he's still not even really doing that like great on NXT. And then just kind of keep him from looking worse, because if he goes up to the main roster, you're going to notice the differences, and it's going to look bad, I think. Yeah, even where he is right for, for now, I think he'll I think he'll bounce back and get somewhere near the top between now and I'd say around about the WrestleMania takeover. Mm. But I'm not holding my I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, well, even Adam thinking might be kind of pushing it a little bit. I think he might yeah. be in NXT for I don't even know how long. But either way, Lars Sullivan wins and. Uh, we move on to what I think was the easily the best match of the night. Uh, and I know that some people are going to disagree with me because they're going to like the main event more in certain ways. And there's another match that was really good too. But to my mind, the standout thing of the entire night was Aleister Black versus the Velveteen Dream. Start to finish. I loved everything about this. This was an awesome match. And it's definitely going onto my list of the match of the year candidates, mm-hmm. which is weird because, like, as an actual rope to rope, like rope to rope, bell to bell match, there were some sloppy elements and there were some things which uh, weren't entirely crisp or weren't as like, say, for example, the Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn match from a couple of takeovers ago or something along those lines. There were better technical matches, but in terms of the storytelling spectacle, the, the the reaction of the crowd, the like the high impact moments, the near falls, it was paced perfectly. It was a brilliant match. 
And it was the little touches, too, that I loved about this. Because there were, I mean, he had the uh, tights with yeah. um, Alistair Black uh, airbrushed on it. Basically kind of like similar to what Rick Rude used to do. That's, that was a nice little, that's... like, you know, little nod to that kind of a thing. Because there is, like, that sort of, what is he, crushing on him? Like, that kind of a vibe. Yeah. It's the perfect, like, heel character for uh, Velveteen Dream to base his act on. Or at least, like, take a few aspects from it. Yeah. And they had great, like, back and forth when it came to not just the moves, but even, like, redoing each other's mannerisms. That was a nice little touch there. This is the first time that a lot of people probably could see how talented and how athletic Patrick Clark is, too. Like, he was pulling out some moves. That flip, whether that he caught himself and went back into the ring. Like, awesome. You know, like, <laughs> these dudes have great chemistry together. Yeah, this is a match that took uh, Patrick Clark or Velveteen Dream from somebody who is a hot prospect that some people think some people might think is quite interesting. Some people might be a little bit affronted by just because of the outlandish nature of his gimmick. To then going, okay, this guy's going to be a future champion. Mm-hmm. This guy, this guy is going to be a big deal in NXT or and maybe even going on to the main roster as well. Because, like I think I said during the predictions, I thought the Velveteen Dream was kind of a rib gimmick to just give to. Patrick Clark, see, okay, if you survive this, then then we'll can, trust you. <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll give you an actual gimmick. But this gimmick w- works, and this gimmick will work on the main roster. And this, they can always tweak it in ways too. Like he doesn't, he can be the Velveteen Dream, and they can keep that nickname for the rest of his career and not have him be this flamboyant type of character too. Like he could be the Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark, if they wanted to give him that name. And he just yeah. happens to wear, like, uh, you know, velvety kind of coat to the ring or something like that. Like, Yeah, definitely. He doesn't have to, like, just be called that if they think that that's a little bit too garish. But I think it works the way that it is right now. I mean, some of the stuff that he was pulling off in this match, I mean, obviously we know about Alistair Black's athleticism and... Um, I really enjoyed even the start of the match because it was, like... Alice Black was toying with him almost, just working the arm constantly. Every time Patrick Clark tried to break out of it, uh, Black just took him back down again. Obviously, you'd have his elements, athleticism, the kicks and the uh, strikes. But then Clark was pulling off stuff like the um, that DDT. Oh, that DDT was awesome. I mean, I've never seen a DDT quite like that before, where it's just like flipping everything around, hooking the leg in as well, Black landed right on the top of his head so he sold it fantastically and the crowd would just like they went absolute apeshit for that (laughs) i've never seen a ddt get that reaction before that was the thing that made everybody that were on the edge of their seat stand up and start chanting this is awesome and they were firmly behind the velveteen dream too that was what was crazy they were chanting say his name over and over again and but it was at DDT, but and then I just like the hit DDT, and then everyone I see, everyone around, just give a standing ovation to it. It's like, wow, <laughs> okay, this guy is going to be something big. He's, um, I mean, he could be the most successful tough enough person outside of the Miz, obviously, because Miz has got a huge reputation behind him. But he, it's the charisma between the ropes, like the fact that he's only been doing this for three years or so, and he's got such a grasp of psychology and like actually pacing and building a match. It's not all about the 
like flashy moves because it's not like he's got the most in-depth move set that we've ever seen i mean outside of that astounding ddt and his uh elbow drop um the rest of the stuff is quite like basic and would be stuff that most people would know how to do but it's just everything else around it makes the match so much better yeah he he knows what he's doing and pretty much like the world is his uh for the taking like he can he can go far and this is just a damn good start because this is his first nxt takeover event so that's another good start even though he lost it ended up being a scenario where both guys won because they ended this so damn well having a black kid on the microphone and say enjoy infamy velveteen dream that was such a good little cap off for this one of my favorite things that they've done probably this entire year in wwe because they could have Booked this match like crazy. This could have been a squash where Black just toys with Velveteen Dream, hits his uh, finishing kick, and that's the end of it. Or they fight, and Black is like, oh, yeah, I'm so much better than you, and whatever like that. But they ended up doing like this mutual respect angle, and I thought it was just perfect. Start to finish, yeah. this match was just amazing. That final touch at the end was, okay, so you gave Black the win, so obviously he's progressing upwards, but you gave like the respect to velveteen dream so you pushed him further up along as well so i in terms of a match which was obviously very well paced brilliant storytelling very good action got the crowd fully invested in it and got both guys over in the process i can't actually think of a better match that has done that this year no definitely not i mean if there is it it's on par with it at the very least yeah this in terms of like top match of the year this is kind of level pegging with me with the um, Pete Dunn Tyler Bate match just because I think that match was technically better. This one just had more energy behind it and had a lot more of a storytelling edge to it. At the so very be, least, like you said, it's in the running. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'll be interesting to see where my mind is when I actually do choose that at the end of the year. But mm-hmm. um it, it definitely like was the highlight of this show. And they went from there to another really good match, as far as I'm concerned, which was the Fatal 4-Way for the vacated uh, NXT Women's Championship. And if you are just following this podcast and you don't know all the results and stuff, it was Nikki Cross, Ember Moon, Peyton Royce, and Kyrie Sane. Ends up turning up with uh, Ember Moon getting the pinfall on Nikki Cross for the win, with a nice little thing at the end there, too, where William Regal and Asuka present the title to Ember Moon, Asuka and Moon hug, they kind of... Uh, finish that story with a nice little bow tied onto it, kind of. Uh, even though they're going to totally fight on the main roster at some point. Yeah. But I think that Peyton Royce would have been the better option, but Ember Moon was my second best choice. So it's sort of like, I'm, I'm cool with this. And the match itself I thought was really good, so I can't really complain about that or anything like that. So I liked it overall. I mean, this was my sort of second favorite thing of the night kind of tied um i thought the match started very chaotically which isn't a bad thing you don't want everything to look so scripted it's meant to be a giant fight after all so and i like the fact that they were all going after each other there weren't any like alliances being drawn immediately they were all just trying to fight and beat each other which is good um after that, you started getting into more like separate groups. Ember Moon was doing a lot of flying around the ring, which was very good. Uh, Kyrie was more of like hope spots and 
her interceptor spear is really good for someone who's so small she like goes in like an arrow through uh, people with that spear uh nikki cross i mean she took a massive power bomb from ember moon to the outside which looked pretty like hard so kudos on her for like taking the punishment that she does yeah that smack was pretty loud yeah she's getting a reputation in nxt for being like the female wrestler will take all the abuse in these sort of matches not that everyone was anyone else was shying away because they're all they're all working hard and uh Peyton I thought Peyton came close at one point when she hit the fisherman suplex I think when um I think it was either Kyrie or Moon came in to break it up uh they were a bit late so crowd were trying like that was free that was free yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that it I'm not gonna say it was perfect but it was definitely a very good fatal four-way match and um, with Moon winning, I always thought that if Moon was to win this, that it would obviously draw comparisons with Asuka, which is why I didn't want her to win it, or I wanted her to chase for a little bit longer before winning it. I mean, I had the feeling that she was going to get called up to the main roster after this show, so the fact that that hasn't happened and she is the champion now means that she's probably going to be in there for at least until WrestleMania time, I'd say. Because I wouldn't, I don't see her dropping it immediately in the next event. No, uh, she can't have it like uh, another Oscar reign, so she'll have to drop it sooner than that. But WrestleMania time seems like a good, decent enough reign. You've got basically a quarter of the year type of reign. Like, yeah, can't really complain that, too much, unless it's like she loses it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. But that's kind of up in the air. I mean, Moon has already proven that she's fallible. She's already lost multiple times in NXT, so it's not any shame on her if she does lose a match. Right. I think um, I think out of the other options, I think all three of them will probably be in the running for NXT Championship opportunities. I think it might be the last chance that Peyton Royce will get at the title just because I think their double act, the double act with Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. It was quite weird that Billy Kay wasn't out there, but there must have been some reason behind it. I'm assuming that the reason why was because if she would have been out there and she still would have lost, it would have hurt her more. Yeah. Like she I would guess. have gotten involved at some point, you know? Yeah. I mean, I maybe I would just would like some sort of like backstage skit or something on the pre-show, which said that like William Regal was banning Billy Kay from ringside or something along those lines, just to make it a bit more like easily to explain. Yeah, as far as but, I know, they didn't say anything like that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it would be... Um, I think their double act is good enough to go onto the main roster already, as it is. So I just don't see one of them winning the title now. Um, Kyrie will probably get it at some point, but she needs to be built up a little bit more beyond the main Young Classic and into an actual role in NXT. Uh, Nikki Cross is a bit of an anomaly. It's depending on what they decide to do with Sanity going forward, really. Because as soon as they call Sanity up, she'll be part of that. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Um, but Ember Moon is a strong choice as champion. She can, She's definitely one of the most skilled uh, women's wrestlers on the roster. So she could definitely carry some people to good matches. She, It's kind of the heir apparent, apparent to Asuka. It'd be interesting to see how she performs like after Asuka had a, such a dominant reign. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what trajectory Moon goes on. If you had to make a guess right now, who do you think is going to be the next champion after her? Sonia Deville. I'd go Jazzy uh, Gabriel. Uh, 
it's a good option. I just think uh, I think you'd want somebody to beat uh, Moon that's a definitive heel. And the reason why Sonya's more of a definitive heel is because she's worse in the ring than Jazzy Gabbard. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's such a bad thing to do, really, but like, sometimes you just need someone who's not that good in the ring because then the audience, and if there's a, it's a heel that's not very good in the ring, then the audience is less likely to gravitate towards them. So if you want somebody that the audience doesn't gravitate towards, put the belt on Aaliyah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Nobody gives Liv- a shit about Aaliyah. Have Liv Morgan win it with a uh, roll-up or something. <laughs> or maybe it could be um that uh, Mandy Rose, if she ever actually gets onto NXT what TV. What the hell's up with her? They've had her for, like, three years, and she hasn't been on a single episode, as far as I'm aware. She's been on one episode of NXT. She was in some uh, six-woman tag team match back when uh, Alexa Bliss was still on uh, NXT. Jeez, they must have zero confidence in her. I know, I don't see... I mean, she's all over, like, their social media stuff and things like that, but it seems like they might just have another Eva Marie on her hat with her. Yeah, like, they just want her to be an Instagram model and that's it. Yeah, which is a shame, because I thought she actually, when the bits and pieces I saw of Tough Enough when she was on, she actually seemed quite good. So maybe she just hasn't gotten any better. But either way, I think Moon will hold the title for a little while and whoever she loses it to will be someone probably a few a few rungs below her that need that needs Moon's help to build them up, essentially. Makes sense. After that, we had the... Uh, and I almost said the WWE Championship. That would have been jumping up a couple more levels. The mm. NXT Championship match between Drew McIntyre and Andrade Cien Almas, which had a clunky start, I think, and some sloppy spots and some problems here and there and stuff where it was... My second least favorite match of the night, but it all sort of gets thrown away at the end because they did have a couple false finishes that started to get the pace back up and it started to be pretty interesting. And then out of nowhere, new champion Andrade Cian Almas wins the the title and a lot of people counted him out, myself included. Seemed like it was just a stepping stone. All right, we're going to go give the... Uh, when the Drew McIntyre, he'll drop it to Adam Cole down the line. Well, now we got to figure out another detour because now we got Almas. Yeah, uh, really shocking result. Uh, I'm I'm pretty opposite with you. I actually thought this match was fantastic. Really? Yeah. I mean, I understand that bits of it were quite clunky. Maybe took, they took a little while with the feeling out process. I also know that uh, McIntyre isn't everybody's like cup of tea because he's a little bit, I'd say, traditional in the style that he competes in. Like, he's obviously a big guy. He uses a lot of power moves. So it's not like he's doing a lot of this flash stuff. But then I think Almas really shone in this match. Not to say that McIntyre didn't pull his way, because he definitely did. But Almas was flying about the ring, like the speed in which he was hitting some of his moves and comboing stuff together. That giant moonsault to the outside. That was, was good. I like that a lot. I think it almost hit the cameraman as well, so that was a that was an added bonus. What bugged me though is like that moonsault was really good, but what came right before that was them somewhat botching the uh, Hurricane Rana to the ring post. Like yeah. McIntyre was like so far away from that, so it was like they would do stuff like that where it'd be like, ah, you messed that up. Oh, that was a really cool move. Oh, that looks like a botch. Oh, hey, look at that. Like you know, it's sort of like. I mean, yeah, I, I understand bits and pieces like that, but it wasn't the most fluid match. And I'm sure if they were to have another match together, they would build on this chemistry. Because it seems that the chemistry was there. There were just a few bits that were off piece. But um, 
I was uh, overall quite pleased with it. I think because just because of the story that it was telling that Almas is getting more focused and intense due to Zelina Vega's uh, influence. And she was obviously getting involved quite heavily in the match as well. Like that um, that early Hurricane Rana thing where McIntyre catches her and then throws her back onto the apron was pretty cool. And then um, then she gets involved near the um, near the end, which leads to a um, the hammerlock DDT, which was a really good false finish. Like the crowd was completely behind that being the end of it. And then McIntyre hits his uh, the claymore, and then I thought, okay, that's that's the end of the match. Then and then I, I see um, Almas rolling towards the ropes. Think, oh my god, they're not actually going to end it. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's a good touch that Vega had to save the match for Almas. So it it doesn't it kind of tarnishes his victory. It shows that he still needs her support, or he can't win it on his own. But then the um final thing with the um the DDT, I was actually like when he hit that final like dropping DDT or brainbuster type move, I thought, oh, he's really hurt McIntyre there because it was that weird. was awkward. After, yeah, because after they won it, like the celebration seemed to go on for about five minutes with. McIntyre and Ring, I thought, okay, has he got a concussion or something, or has he injured his shoulder or something along those lines? But from what I've heard, read from like Twitter after the thing, it's apparently just really good selling. But, and maybe it'd be some sort of reason, because I think part of the reason he would have dropped the title is I think they might be moving him up soon. I would not be shocked at all. He's too big just to be on NXT. Not like as far as popularity goes, but like he looks like a legit main event type of guy in WWE. Yeah, it makes sense to fast track him to the main roster, but I just, again, it's like, where does he slot in at this point? I hate to repeat myself over and over again, but I guess SmackDown. (laughs) No, I think SmackDown is the right fit for him because he could be someone who can push to, like, I would like to say, maybe a feud with Baron Corbin over the United States title. I think he could do that almost immediately. Yeah, that could work. I mean, if he did go to Raw, there's probably options. Like, he could probably have a feud with The Miz. Yeah, I think he could be fighting for a championship pretty soon. Like, just pretty immediately. I mean, you go to SmackDown, he could be getting a feud with Ginger Mahal. Because there were a few uh, free, free MB chants during this uh, <laughs> match as well. <laughs> Maybe they so, get the whole band back together. When uh, we have a new champion, of course, I mentioned this with the women's champion, but... I immediately go straight to who do I think is going to be in the next champion. And I had no plan at all when it came to if Almas would have won. Mm-hmm. My go-to reaction was maybe Roderick Strong, maybe Johnny Gargano. Maybe they've got somebody who I don't even know necessarily is going to be brought into the company and then that person. But I would have to limit it to those three options. Do you think that there's a chance we're going to get McIntyre win the title back, or do you think we go in with a new champion? And if so, who's your like top pick? Um, I don't think McIntyre's going to win it back. I think this is like his swan song, and he will be going onto the main roster soon. I think he'll get one opportunity, but they'll do that on an episode of NXT, and then he'll lose that one, maybe through some shady means again, and then he'll go up to the main roster. Um, my top two choices for the next champion would be Gargano, just because I think they're doing the big story of him having to refine his confidence, and that drop, dropping confidence started with a loss to Almas, so it makes like a going full circle story. If they wanted Gargano to win the title next, and then uh, Alistair Black. 
Oh, there's Black too. Yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, I think if they do want to keep him, it it depends with Black if they want to fast track him to the main roster or there or two hundred five live potentially, or they want to keep him in NXT and be cut and build it around him because he he is definitely someone you could build NXT around. Like, I thought that was going to be the case with uh, McIntyre that he was going to be there for like a year or so, even though he was good enough to go onto the main roster. It was just somebody that they wanted to use as like a big draw for NXT. But yeah, um, that's pretty sad. <laughs> we both are kind of in the mentality of well McIntyre is probably going to stick around for a while they could try to build things around with him yet neither of us said the same thing when it came to Ono but as bringing him up as a potential new champion it was like he'll yeah. probably be around for a while but we're going to write him off as not anywhere close to somebody who's going to be the next champion yeah but it's um, just an unfortunate thing with him it's just that he's obviously someone you can put in decent feuds and you can rely on to put on decent matches with basically anybody but he it just feels like if they would have given him the ball they would have done it by now like he's been there almost a year now and he hasn't really done anything so i don't see him getting the title when you've got i think gargano strong and uh uh black all stand better chances and maybe even adam cole depends on the situation that he were to win the title win if they did some sort of like triple threat or fatal four way, something yeah. on those lines. At the very least so, we know that if uh Uno was talking about if he beats Lars Sullivan that he should be in a title shot, he lost. So we don't have to worry about him being like built up to have Uno versus Almas at Philadelphia, you know? Yeah, definitely I think the next challenges should be it I mean it depends how long McIntyre's staying behind because if that McIntyre does come like wait until that point in time because obviously that would be the takeover before the Royal Rumble and so it would be make sense to have him debut in the Royal Rumble just to get him out there immediately but um, yeah it depends on how long he's willing to stay in NXT for or how long they want him to stay in NXT for other than that I think the next challenger would make sense to be I mean if you say Black you'd probably say that Almas is dropping the title immediately but uh, if it's someone like Gargano, then maybe Almas keeps holding the title all strong. But uh, yeah, I'm really pleased that they um, they've like gone all in on this partnership between Almas and Vega, like showing that they they're really behind it and they've uh, almost like a reward for how well they've been doing and how like strong a reaction that they've getting as a partnership. Yeah, because it's working so well. Like, Amos was a guy that I didn't really give a shit about, and by the time we got to this point where he's having this title match, leading up to it, and including during the match, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I wouldn't be upset if he ended up winning. No, and he's, um, I mean, obviously Vega's done a fantastic job, and she definitely adds a lot to his character. I mean, she's fantastic promo ability, she's willing to get physical in the ring as well, um... She obviously is like fully behind him and is guiding him and adding some focus to his character. But I think he stepped it up in the ring as well. He feels more intense, more like f- fast-paced action. He's definitely relying a lot on his speed. He's still got those aspects of his like original character, like the tranquilo, uh, lying between the ropes and stuff like that. But it makes it's... more sense now because he's the douchey heel. Yeah, it's a com- it's a complete package now. Uh, and I'm looking forward to them holding the title. It's kind of like going back to maybe this was the sort of thing when Tyler Bree should have been the champion. Like you never thought that 
these sort of people were going to win the championship, the kind of upper card heel that would occasionally get a title shot and wouldn't go anywhere. Now we've got one of those people actually holding the title. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I didn't love the segment itself, but I'm a big fan of the title change. So yeah, it works out kind of. Um, yeah, I'm more of a like a thumbs up on the match as well, but I think the overall thing was I didn't expect to be as into Almas being champion as I am, but it really works. Now, when it comes to the main event, which was the War Games match between the Undisputed Era, Sanity, and Authors of Pain, and Roderick Strong, I felt like this had a bit of a slow start, too. Until all the teams came in, it was kind of boring. Yeah, those first, like, ten minutes were just a little bit too static for me. Yeah, especially because you you knew that nothing was going to happen. Like, you literally cannot win the match unless two of the people walk out of the cage <laughs> yeah well just it, it just felt so illogical like when they were reading the rules out at the start i just thought what what why is this happening this sounds really weird a lot well, of rules about... that went on for a while yeah, yeah it was the idea that like two people from the same team would enter after the like the first three people would enter like the first three people i thought okay so start with a triple threat match that sounds all right to me but then i was like imagining in my head i hadn't read the rules beforehand so i wasn't know what to expect but i thought Okay, so then you're going to have one person from each team just come out every two minutes or so, and then they insert themselves into the match. Because it just seemed, like, really unfair that, like, that you'd have, like, okay, so you've got three people, and then they're facing two other people, and then two more people get in the ring. It just felt really confusing, especially at the point where the light shined on Sanity to go in second, and it was actually meant to be the Office of Pain, so that was a bit (laughs) awkward. (laughs) A few production Uh, issues there. I liked that they did this for something different, but they need to tweak it a little bit, I think. And, yeah, but... You I mean, know, I kind of sort out what they did wrong and stuff. Yeah, well, I don't mind the idea of just updating it a little bit, but I I do like kind of draw the line and think, why does it need to be updated? Surely War Games was good. Why do you need to completely update it? Like, why do you need to send... Like, first of all, why do you have to get Shark Cage involved in pretty much everything nowadays? Like, they just... They've got a hold on for shark cages at the moment. Yeah, those must not have sold enough. <laughs> Clearly not. I mean, I don't know how they think they're going to sell even more with this thing, especially when they've got that giant Ultimate X ring that they're trying to sell as well. So I still don't get why they keep calling them shark cages when literally the name of the toy that they went with was Crash Cage. <laughs> and it was like, you just named it. Like That's like... Calling, you know, you get Patrick Clark to come out there as the Velveteen Dream, and then the next week you're like, nope, he's the, I don't know, the Suede Dream or something mm. like that. And then you're just sort of like, but you picked that. Like, <laughs> you're the ones who said you wanted to call it the Crash Cage toy. If you wanted to call it the Shark Cage toy, then call it the Shark Cage toy. If you didn't want to do that, or if it was like some kind of problem where you did market testing and like the Crash Cage thing worked better, that came first. <laughs> so yeah. call it the Crash Cage. Like, it, it's, so it's maybe crazy. Some weird, maybe some weird thing where they actually copyright themselves. So they actually like called that the cash, Crash Cage, but then they couldn't actually use it in any other setting other than that toy. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's it, it's so weird because we've had that maybe like three or four times since they started that toy line. And mm. they still have only called it the Crash Cage in WWE itself, I think, once. And the rest of it's been the Shark Cage. And it still doesn't make any sense about like, oh, this person's locked in a Shark Cage. Like... Okay, why can't all the teams start off in the ring? Kind of like yeah, 
I think that I would mean, have been a little bit better because that's where everything started to pick up the pace, actually. And from then on in, it ended up being a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. As soon as uh, Sanity got into the match and started introducing the weapons, it started going from, okay, this is a bit of like a slow, boring, like just punching and kicking and occasionally throwing into the cage match into, okay, this is going to be like a fun garbage match, like a fun, like just weapons brawl. And then it starts to pick up quite a lot. I'd say the um, MVP of the uh, match for me is uh, Killian Dane. Oh, yeah, for sure. He was a standout. He was just throwing people around left and right and making himself this the big powerhouse of the whole nine uh bunch yeah definitely it's um it's it's good to see that like okay so we've got the really big guy in this match so we're going to make him look really big and really powerful rather than just have him like i don't know run into anything and be the stupid big man he was actually just like dominant over everybody and having him like have like encounters with both of the authors of pain members was really good as well like just matching power to power and when they were knocked down or out of uh, breath, then you start seeing the smaller guys start kicking each other and just doing all the more like high impact, fast moves compared to the slightly slower but definitely more like powerful moves of Dane and Ackham and Razor. I'm surprised too. Like we had the spots where they did the double super collider, and we had like the power bomb. Uh, superplex combo stuff, but it was Alexander Wolf that hits a German suplex and on the tables, and that was a shock to me. And then he gets all bloodied up. Yeah, that was really bad. Like you can see the blood like lying on the table as well. Right. How much he must have lost during that thing. Alexander and it Wolf still was wasn't crazy. the most awkward thing though, because the most awkward thing was Kyle O'Reilly headshot uh, to the head or headshot to the head, headshot with a chair. On himself. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? This I, I is the first that. headshot we've had in years in WWE, and it's a guy doing it to himself. Yeah, I saw that for a minute and thought, oh my god, are they actually going to hit each other in the head with more weapons? Like, fortunately, they didn't do that for the rest of it, because I think once is enough, really. And even that is too many. I'm still, like, especially with all the concussion stuff and the great knowledge we have nowadays about this stuff, um, any sort of chair shot to the head gets me a little bit cringeworthy. Like going back and watching old episodes of Raw or something in the past where they were literally hitting each other in the head. Oh, ten some times of those a night. were brutal. Yeah, ten times a night and eight of those were on Mick Foley. So just, um, but yeah, definitely when the weapons were introduced, like they were mixing it up with the Singapore cane, steel chairs, uh, chains. It was definitely um a good mix. Like they they knew that people wanted to see a bit more of like the violent side of things and. People were definitely getting bloody and beaten up. The, I think the best thing about the match was the fact that you could tell that it was taking a toll on everybody. Like It's not like it was just like a Hell in a Cell match in WWE when the guy turns up the next day and he's completely no worse for wear. Right. Like You could tell that these people are going to be feeling it for a couple of weeks to come, really. Yeah, you're going to convince uh, conveniently, I meant to say, conveniently mm. see like almost none of them wrestling for like the next tapings and like different things like that like where they're just yeah. gonna be like yeah take a little bit of time off that kind of a thing yeah i'd hope i'd hope that'd be the case um definitely the um the choice for the winners was quite clear that it would be the undisputed i think the way they went about it was pretty good with um a lot of people hitting a lot of power moves to take each other out 
I mean, Killian Dane hitting a coast to coast. Yeah, like who would have thought thought that that was the one coming? Like if anybody would have done that during the match, he would have been my very last pick. I would have been like, oh, okay, maybe Bobby Fish, maybe Roderick Strong. Never would have thought of you're gonna pull one of those people out. It's gonna be Killian Dean. Yeah, I know, but he pulled it off like really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, German suplex through both tables. He had obviously a giant superplex onto everybody that Adam Cole then kicked out of, which was. A nice touch as well, just to keep show. Oh, they have the match actually is still happening. It's not just like a load of people falling around. Um, but yeah, the um final sequence of uh, uh was yeah Cole hitting the uh knee strike with the chair. I mean, it was quite weird that uh, Eric Young decided to protect his face with a steel chair. <laughs> so, <laughs> think, oh yeah, this is gonna block the knee. Oh no, the steel chair went straight into my face and knocked me out. That's... But to be fair, he is crazy, so... I hope it's the same steel chair that hit Kyle O'Reilly in the head. Like, it's just, whoever wields it has to hit themselves. <laughs> some kind of, like, yeah. odd uh, thing from Harry Potter or something like that. Like, some enchanted chair. Yeah, it definitely comes uh, f- full circle. Like, oh, oh, first it inflicted damage to my team, but now I'm going to use it in my advantage. <laughs> And then, like, later on, they're going to be setting up, and everybody's going to be relaxing and stuff. One of the authors of pain is going to sit in it, and it's going to break, and they're going to be like, damn it, it got all three of us. (laughs) It it uh, bounced out to what ended up being, I think, a really great show. And I there were some low points, of course. I mentioned I I wasn't too big on the Sullivan match, and I had my issues with the the McIntyre match and the slow start for the War Games match, but that... Uh, Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black match, and the majority of the main event and the women's match were like, I mean, shit, NXT TakeOver events know what they're doing for the most part. Yeah, I don't go into that. these anymore expecting anything other than it to be great. I know, it's going to be a bit of like a blow when they actually do produce a bad one. Like, you just think, oh, this is the turning point for them. But this is this was another excellent show. It's only two and a half hours long, so it's just easy to sit through. And even when bits weren't going like particularly well, like I understand the Cassius Ono last Sullivan match wasn't the most entertaining, and there were a few botches in around both the women's match and the uh, NXT title match. And the start of the War Games match was a little bit boring, but other than that, just everything else was just coming together. The storytelling in all of the matches was really like good. It was. They all served the purpose that they were meant to do, and they all told the story that they were supposed to tell, which I think is the the best compliment that I can give it. And the fact that it was only two and a half hours means that you just sit through it and feel alert and awake. Whereas the Survivor Series, which Oof. I'm not gonna say, I, I'm not gonna say it definitely doesn't have the opportunity to like blow this out of the water because there are definitely some really big matches that could. Uh, like the card at least makes us interested, and there yeah. is a lot of potential behind it, but it's going to be at least, what, six, six hours? hours? Six hours with the pre-show, yeah. So, and then there's the potential for the overrun, and if you do what I do, where you watch the start from the very beginning of the pre-show onward, by the time we get done the pre-show alone, it's going to be two hours, and yeah. the only match that we're going to have, at least as far as what's currently advertised, is going to be the Cruiserweight match, which everybody's going to be like, oh, this doesn't matter because it's just the Cruiserweights, and we know that no title is going to change hands. We need Survivor Series to pick up right from the start. That yeah. needs to just be, I mean, it has to be a great pay-per-view. They need it at this point. Yeah, no, well, this would just be 
like I mean NXT have again set the bar ridiculously high and I think none of the shows that have followed an NXT event have surpassed it this year I mean even Wrestlemania I think was a hit and miss show so and I thought uh, NXT TakeOver was an overall better show but again that could be more, more arguable but you still got to imagine backstage when they watch this and they probably just go, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> well, they either do that or they just pretend to, they just ignore it and just go, okay, well, our show will always be better because we're the main roster people. But eventually some people got to take notice, say, okay, the NXT are actually doing like better, but yeah. fewer people are watching it because some people don't watch NXT for some reason. Which On Monday it. night, they've got all those reports where it's like social media backlash on the latest WWE event because people are bitching and complaining saying that they want to, you know, cancel their uh, subscriptions and stuff. And then they go, uh, must be because of that NXT thing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Turn yeah, the blind it's, all, it's all NXT's fault. They set the bar really high, a really great show. So obviously our show was going to be bad in comparison. So <laughs> that, it's not like, it's not like people actually dislike our show. They're just like, you know, they they overexceeded themselves with the NXT show. I mean, the NXT show was okay, but they were like the same people trying to work the argument of going like, "What do you mean you don't like a McDonald's burger? You just had filet mignon." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, commendation, at least when it comes to NXT Takeover. Uh, War Games was a success, great show overall, and. Uh, I would say my my highlight of the whole night, Velveteen Dream and Aleister Black. What would you say is your highest point? Oh, definitely. Um, I think I think the end of uh, uh, Aleister Black versus Velveteen Dream, like the final confirmation part of it, because the match itself, like the entire segment was fantastic. But just that final thing was just the icing on the cake. Really good moment. I referred to it as the cherry on top. So this is getting a very sweet dessert: ice cream, mm. cherry cake icing. <laughs> Yeah, you, you decide to add fruit into the mix, so shame on you. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, my namesake. I gotta have, like, some kind of cousin connection to cherries, right? Oh, I guess so. If you if you want to see it that way, put a mango on top of a cake as well. <laughs> We're in the same section in the grocery store. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, tell us what you thought about this event. Drop a comment below, as I mentioned at the beginning of this whole podcast, and make sure that you hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you're watching this there. Ring that bell and check off that you want notifications for the NXT, uh, not the NXT, for the Survivor Series post-show that'll be coming up tomorrow night. And, of course, the live coverage on SmartOutMoment.com itself for there. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SmartOutMoment. Follow Callum over on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And be sure to check out like the Smart Out Moment coverage of all these events. And also, after these events are done, there'll definitely be some feedback in uh, the your weekly articles on the website as well so be sure to check those out yes indeed and uh yeah i think that's it so thanks for listening to this everybody we will see you next time this has been another smart out moment and we're being counted out 